Okay, so we're, I'm going to go back. Uh, Paul uh, had a little run here, and I'm going to go back to King David. If, for those of you who don't know, we have done a little series. Uh, it's a long, whatever it is, uh, meandering thing that we're doing with King David. But it's been very insightful, I think, and it's a template really mu- very much for our lives. Would you agree? So uh, three weeks ago when I was last with you, we talked about the Ark of the Covenant and I've had many of you come back and say that uh, that was very impactful. In fact, a dear friend of mine said, "Is I've just watched that three times over now. Just gone back and watched it over and over and over again. It's so impactful to see that, that God's plan was always Jesus, even in the Old Testament. Now, if you come to Church of the Red Door at all, you know that. God's plan is simple. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament, he emerges everywhere. And through this Ark of the Covenant, we could see that that kind of was a picture of the manifestation of God. And we left it with the Ark of the Covenant finally being brought back into the city of Jerusalem. The big Ark. You remember they had carried it in an inappropriate way and Uzzah was struck down. And that we, we worked through on why that was such a difficult story. And is God so arbitrary and random as just to strike people down for no good reason? A lot of people think that about God. In my travels this last week, I had some good conversations. Maybe some of them are on live stream when I was in Austria. And you can't really believe in a personal God. You really can't believe in that with all the trillions of galaxies. And I said, no, I absolutely believe it because I've experienced it. And I've heard it said before that a man with an experience always has a position above a man with an argument. And that's the question I have for you this morning. Have you experienced God or do you even care about the presence of of God in your life. I'm going to ask you that again. I'm not asking you whether you're religious or not. I couldn't care less. Religion means nothing to me. I realize to some degree this is semantics. Don't let that be offensive to you. But again, in here at Church of the Red Door, we've kind of defined religion as being man's attempt to get to God. Like, what do we have to do? What hoops do we have to jump through? How are we going to ever get to God? And then Jesus is God's attempt to get to man. And we see that uh, really pretty much played out through the The narrative of all of Scripture, it's all about Jesus coming to us, loving us right where we are, even if we don't even have the ability to get up off the ground. Jesus comes to us where we are. That's why I know that, yes, there is a personal God, and yes, His presence in my life has been experiential, not just dogma. It's not just, well, I believe this. I had a precious friend of mine. Maybe he's watching this morning. I mean, he's a good friend. We were were driving along. He said, you really can't believe this in a deep way, do you? I mean, a virgin birth and, a, you, you, you know, a, a personal God that is, you know, really? You can't really believe this. I mean, you have a mind and, you know, he, he's a physicist by trade and, and uh, we talk, I, I, I barely can talk. I mean, he's, he's way out there, but I talk a little bit about electrons and protons and nuclei and all that. And we have some interesting conversations. And he said, you just really can't believe in that. And I said, I do because I've experienced God. And that's what I tell him and told him. And I'll tell him again if he's watching now. Uh, my prayer is that he has a revelation of God. What does that mean? To experience, experience God. That's what I want for my kids. I couldn't care less whether or not what they experience in, in, in the realm of the world and all that and whether they're able to travel ever or all those other kind of things. I hope they do. I hope they have a fulfilled life. The highest priority for Laura and I is that our kids understand and experience God. And I know you, if you have kids, you want that for your kids. Maybe they don't even 
know God at all, but you want him to have a supernatural, radical experience with God. And that's why David was so excited. That's where we left him. The Ark of the Covenant gets ushered in to Jerusalem, and he begins to dance in his underwear. That was essentially underwear. It was his linen ephod, but it was, it was basically his undergarments. <clears throat> and then here you have the juxtaposition between his enthusiasm for the presence of God. And then one of his wives, which were part of the seeds of his destruction that we've seen in the last few weeks, but one of his wives, Michael, Saul's daughter, despised him, looked, at, looked down on him, said, oh, you, the big ruler of Israel, and here you are. I mean, what a fool you've made of yourself before all of Israel, dancing out. Now, you can't just imagine. It wasn't just a little jig up in his, you know, his apartment, you know, up top and looking down, and she accident, you know, accidentally walked in. He was dancing through the streets. I can only imagine it would have been twirling and kind of a gaiety of sorts and, you know, just kind of a, a bizarre scene. <clears throat> what if he was in our midst this morning? King David said, oh, I sense the presence of God, and he began to dance around here. I mean, we'd, we'd call the cops. I mean, it's like, you know, where's Richard Holub? We need security. Well, that's the way she was feeling. What was it that made David so great? I'll tell you what it was that made David so great. It was his passion, his consuming passion for the presence of God, something that he had begun to experience as a very, very young man. Probably around 10, 11 years old, he started hanging out with the sheep out in the middle of nowhere. Looking up at the stars, just like we have the same opportunity to do here in the Coachella Valley. It's bright here. We don't have a lot of... You can get out. You can look at some stars. If you can't see them, go up on Highway 74. You can see them. He probably looked out. From what we can see in our visible galaxy, we can see about 6,500 stars. Knowing that there are trillions and trillions of galaxies and beyond that in stars. But we can see about 6,500 from our vantage point. And he probably looked up and goes, there has to be a God. And then he began to experience the very presence of God. Now, if you haven't had that experience, this is going to sound weird. Of course it is. And experiencing a supernatural presence. And how, what does that look like? Does he talk? Is there a visible? No, but this is what made David great. I believe is that he had, as the Bible says, a heart after God's own heart. He was a man after, after he was after it, God's heart. And that's what he wanted. And it was, it was clearly visible through his excited underwear dance. I mean, it's just weird, but not so weird. Once you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to ask the question this morning, what made David great? I think it's this. Now we're going to get it straight from Jesus' own mouth and his conversation he had with his disciples. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they said... Who then is the greatest? And Muhammad Ali would say, me, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I am the greatest of all time, right? And we've got a lot of people in our world. Maybe even our president has made that statement at various points. Make America great again, and I'm the one to do it. I mean, we've got a lot of claims to greatness. And they asked Jesus, well, who really is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself. This is not what they wanted to see. They wanted to hear, you're great because you're hanging out with me. You recognize who I am. 
and you've got an inside path to greatness because we're going to take this thing over. We're going to blow the Romans out. We're going to set up the Davidic kingdom that has been promised to our forefathers, and we are going to rule and reign together. I'm going to give you all a high position. You're the greatest. And he calls a child to himself, and they had to be thinking, oh, no, not one of these kind of teaching lessons again. And he set him before them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, I I wonder, I hope I get to meet that child one day. What What an awesome thing to be that child that just got maybe picked up and embraced by Jesus, and he said, you've got to become like this. And I wonder what it was, maybe just a look in that child's eye. You can see that in some kids. There's a look of innocence. There's a look of beauty and wonder. And, you know, you just say, I just hope this corrupt, fallen, spinning mud heap down here called earth doesn't come in and warp the way this child views life and the beauty of life. And that probably it was that look in that child's eye and Jesus picked, you got to become like this child right here. What was it about that child? What was it about children and the innocence of children? He said, you want to enter the kingdom? Here's how it is. You want to be the greatest? Here's where it starts. You don't know anything. And you will embrace everything. See, what happens, and by, by, by its very definition, what is a child? Someone who has recently entered a realm or a dimension of existence. Okay, so this is a formed being. The bre- very breath of God gave them life and spirit. They emerged in a physical body. The umbilical cord was cut. And they come into a world of which they know nothing. And they embrace whoever it is that's telling them, and that's why some kids, maybe it was you. Maybe you've spent years overcoming a father who said, you'll never amount to anything. You're worthless. And those words ring deeply true in you because that's your experience, and that's the only thing you've ever known. Because they were your first ones to speak into your life. Well, why would Jesus equate coming into the kingdom of heaven? Like the necessity of being like a child. Because there's a certain amount of innocence of which, let me tell you something, and Jesus spoke harshly. He said, you don't want to lead one of these little ones astray. It would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and cast into the sea than to mislead or make cause to stumble one of these precious, innocent little ones. And that can be both in a literal way for the literal children of Jesus' time, but also for those who were emerging in their own faith. Let me tell you something, to become, that's why Jesus used the language of being born again. What does that mean? You are now entering a realm in which you never have existed before. Well, I grew up around the church, and I, you know, I've seen that, and I know, I've seen a few TV preachers, and, and I, you know, I know about all that stuff. No, you don't know anything until you're born again, and then when you're born again, you have to come as a child and say, I know nothing. Everything that I think I know, I'm going to put on the table until I become informed by my spiritual parent, and that would be, of course, Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Now, then the church, which is the pillar and support of the truth, if we're doing our job as the collective church, we would bring one of these precious new ones in and begin to talk to them about the impossibility of the dimension in which they live, which is nothing like the dimension that they're coming out of. 
Do you understand that? So when you're talking about being born again, you're talking about being born into a dimension that you've never had access to before. Of course you don't understand it. So if you go in with already prejudgments, and I'm, well, I'll do this and I'll do that, and I don't mind going to a church a little bit, but all this presence of God stuff and all this, and, and you read the Bible and say, it just doesn't resonate with me and all that, you have to be, and Jesus says you've got to become like a child, and a child wouldn't say, well, wait a minute. I don't know that an elephant is, is big. Maybe, they're, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to go over there. I, some of you had some strong-willed children. It was tough, wasn't it? It's easier when you've got the kids and go, yeah, Dad, sure. You know, it's beautiful. Everything, yeah, whatever you say, let's go. I just trust you. I believe you. I, and Jesus is saying, unless you become like that in that behavior and, and that, with that attitude, you'll run around thinking you're in this dimension. In fact, you won't have ever entered the dimension in the first place. You've got to be converted as one of these little children saying, I don't know anything. And I'm going to have to rethink everything about reality. I don't bring a, a lot of what I think and then a sum of what God thinks and then it's some, it's some hybrid model. All that is is religion. And man's really good at that. And that's why sometimes you can take this Bible and that's why you have someone like a David Koresh or a Jim Jones or a whoever come and Deepak Chopra talks from the Bible. And we have all kinds of people that will talk openly about the Bible and what Jesus said, but, they, but it's a mixture and it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous when you begin to mix what Jesus said with your own views about reality and you've never really converted and being, become like a child. So I think there's four things. I think, number one, a child has a willingness to accept the impossible. A child does, in the, and then they get beat up for a while in the world, and then they may lose all their faith in the world, and they may just cease to really be socially interactive because they've been hurt so many times. But then they come into this new dimension, and you have to open yourself back up to the possibility of being hurt. And I'll tell you one thing, the culture here, I, there's no question that people will get hurt here. I, it, it grieves me to know that that will probably happen at some point, and it, there's a good chance it might even be my fault. But I can tell you every intention is, is that you can grow and have your faith nurtured here, not with imperfection, because none of us are perfect, but there is an intention to see that you are, you have an atmosphere and a, and a culture in which you can emerge and not be hurt. That's my highest priority at this church, to have a culture of honor. Our teams hear it. I'll, you'll hear me talk about it all the time. I'd rather, I'd rather we close shop here than not have a culture of honor in a place where you could have a safe place to come and ask hard questions about Jesus and your faith and not be accused, not be slandered, not be looked down upon. We don't take a snapshot picture of who you are. We believe through the power of the Holy Spirit that in 10 years or 5 years or 20 years, you'll be a radically different person. And it doesn't happen overnight. So I'm treat, I like to treat people like I, I see them in 20 years today. There has to be a reckless pursuit of what God says about reality. There has to be. It has to be somewhat reckless. Well, I don't understand. When, when it says that, I don't understand that. But I'm going to believe it anyway. That makes sense to my little mind because it's not like the realm that I came out of, the seen realm. Now I'm moving into the unseen realm and this doesn't make any sense to me, but... But Jesus said it, so let's, yeah, let's just act on it, and that's where you begin to apply your faith. And there has to be that. There has to be a worry-free existence knowing that Dad's going to take care of you. If you're in here just tied up in knots because you just don't believe that you're going to be able to make it financially or that, you're gonna, or that you have just these excruciating fears that just grab hold of you in the midnight 
at midnight or whatever it is, you just say, look, I just began to trust that my dad, my heavenly father, Abba, is going to take care of me now that I have been born into this dimension. And it may not look like it's going to happen, but I just somehow, I just have a childlike trust. See, that's, that, that's what Jesus would have been saying when he's looking at this preciously you think kids when three four five years old you think they have any thought about i wonder if i'm going to eat a week from tomorrow i didn't know they're playing there's a freedom there's a there's a lightness to their step because they're just not that concerned and that's where of course some are in poverty and they haven't eaten and maybe they do and i realize that but in the kingdom jesus will be there for you say how can you say that i've just watched it over and over personally, observationally in other people. It's just phenomenal. And then lastly, there just has to be a lack of concern about what other people think. I think, I think those are, and we could, we could talk about many more things, but those things stand out to me in a very profound way when I look at kids and just see them running around with just a freedom and a, and a you know, just a care, just a carefree, loving, you know. I mean, why do kids, you know, when you come in, kids, and I, I love it here, you know, we don't have a lot of kids here, but the kids that we have, and they come, they just come running in, and they just grab hold, you know, of your leg, and, and they just love you, and they want to give you a hug, and, and then you have adults, and, you know, kind of walking in, and you hug them, and they're, you know, I'm going to hug you. I don't care about it. Maybe I'll get thrown in jail for some day for hugging people, you know, and, you know, hashtag me too. I, I don't, I don't, I don't. I do not denigrate that, but trust me, I'm not making light of, of this kind of behavior, but I, I don't, a side hug or something, I, but if you don't want it, please tell me, but I, I like hugging people, men and women, just because it's just Jesus, there's just like a connection there, and because it, it's also what children do, and it's a, it's a, it's a pretty brutal world where we distance ourselves so much because of all the litigiousness of our society. I just hate it. It drives me crazy. If I love people, I want to show people I love them. You know? And if you're uncomfortable with it, you just tell, I, I promise, I will tell you, if you are uncomfortable with that at all, you let me know and I won't. I'll shake your hand. I'll air hug you. If you're uncomfortable with that, I will. I'll kind of give you a little air hug. Anyway. So uh, I want to. I want this is this is too good a scene not to go to. I want you to go to Mark chapter nine. This is just. This is so. People. This is not the disciples. Those dumb disciples. This is not those dumb disciples. This is just human nature. What we see in the disciples is that it's extraordinary, and but it's us. It really is. I wish I could look at the disciples and go, all oh, those dumb disciples. How come they didn't understand, you know? How come they could see Jesus do this and now then they lost their confidence? And, you know, Peter starts and jumps out of the boat and is walking across the water and then he starts sinking. Oh, Peter. And I go, well, that's me. That's me. So this is really, uh, this is an indictment on fallen humanity as much as it is anything. And I laugh at this because... In some ways, I think this is in all of us. But we'll start in verse 30. It says, from there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. That's Jesus. He just didn't. He said, we're a little stealthy here, and there's reason for this. And he says, because he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's been killed, he will rise three days later. But of course, what? They just didn't understand. 
And in fact, they were afraid to ask him. Is he talking metaphorically? What's going on here? We're about to take over Rome here. We're going to be one of the top people in his administration. And he keeps talking about dying. So well, let's just kind of say, all right, Jesus, let's just keep, let's keep moving. And you can see the depth of their understanding by what happens next. It's just too funny. It's comic relief, quite frankly. And they came to Capernaum. And for those of you who are going to Israel with us in November, we'll be there. And we'll do a teaching right there in Capernaum. And uh, there's a spaceship that I want to show you. Uh, and, uh, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. He says, well, what, are you, what were you discussing on the way? I'm talking to you about very important things. What were you guys talking about? And they, and they kept silent because on the way they had discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, are you serious? Only the all the precious disciples. But, you know, the fact of the matter is we do the same thing. You know, we got something really important going on here, and the people come in, and oh, I, I got overlooked, and who is the greatest? You know, is that person, is that person head of hospitality, or is I'm just a hospitality team member, or, or is that person the leader of the Bible study? Am I just a fill-in? I mean, what is this? You know, we start discussing, who's the greatest here? Who has, who has authority here? Who's the greatest? Well, sitting down, he called the 12, and he said, if anyone wants to be first, he's going to be last. He's going to be the servant of everybody. And again, what did he do? Taking a child. He set him before them and taking him in his arms, and he said, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. Now, I think what he was really doing there, he's saying, Look, the last thing that people, important people want to do is mess with kids because there's no in, right? I mean, you go out and you're hanging out with kids. You're like, If I'm hanging out with kids, I want to hang out with the adults because adults have connections. And kids don't have any connections. He said, you want to be great? I, there's the area. I, notice he didn't scold them for wanting to be great. Did you notice that? Jesus didn't say, how dare you want to be great? None of you are great. Only I'm great. No, he said, aspire to be great. I, I think in his heart he said, aspire to be great. But in this new dimension, in this new realm that we're talking about, it's an upside-down realm. And so greatness over here is you don't pay any attention to the kids. You're looking so hard after your goals, you trip over kids. You, you, they, they become a problem. And in fact, look at our culture. Look at abortion. Kids become a hindrance to us becoming great. He said, you want to become great? Receive one of these children. Now, I'll tell you right now, if you've had an abortion, and I know there's no way. We, if you've had an abortion in here, let me tell you something. There's a lot of grace at the cross. You, did, you, did, you don't beat yourself up right now. You forget what lies behind. Jesus paid all the penalty for your abortion or, or you stepping on kids because you were so anxious to get to a place in the seen realm and that you look back and many of you have great pain because maybe your career stepped in the way of you taking the appropriate care of your own children in some ways you sacrificed you know we look back and we see some of these ancient tribes and they would sacrifice their children to the gods and we say how horrible well we do the same thing in our own culture we just do and there's a lot of mercy and a lot of grace if you have sacrificed either literally through an abortion or otherwise, let me tell you something. Jesus loves you. He's already forgiven you, and he's already paid the price. It's a beautiful thing. So we have to forget, but we cannot go forward without understanding the depth of what Jesus is saying here. It's important that you understand. In this realm, you serve. You become the least, and then you're the greatest. In this realm, you step on the least to become the greatest. Well, they couldn't understand it. 
as you can imagine. But they begin to. So greatness equals a servant heart. Would you agree with that? From God's economy in our economy. Who's the greatest in here? I'm telling you right now, I am not the greatest in this church. I, can, I could list a long list of people in this church that I would say from Jesus' perspective right now yeah, are much, much greater than me. I happen to be in front of you and serving you in this way, but there are some people in here that you don't even know. You couldn't put their name with their face, and they are serving you in ways that you don't even know about. And from God's perspective, they are the greatest. It's awesome. Because they have become the servant of all. Well, what does a servant require? Well, I think there has to be a willingness first to recognize the interdependence that we have with one another. If you want to become the greatest, you recognize that we are an organism. Now, there we are both a local organism of a local church. That's Church at the Red Door. But we're also part of a larger organism that is the Church of the Coachella Valley. I really believe that with all my heart, always have. One of the reasons I love doing parachurch and never wanted to be a pastor is because I just love the inner dialogue and the interplay between various pastors and churches. And I just saw, I always thought God looks down and sees the church of the Coachella Valley. Now, there are some churches that may not be preaching the gospel and they may be in some ways apostate. And I'm not talking about that theology is not important. I'm not, ta- I'm not referring to that at all, but I'm talking about people who love Jesus who love Jesus, we have to be cautious, saying, well, they're not with us. And there was an interesting story, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 9. And let me tell you something. I know, look, we can go round and round, and I have the stage here, and there could be some rebuttal here. And, and theology and our dogma and what we say is radically important. I, I be, I, you can accuse me a lot, but I hope you don't ever accuse me of being, you know, a light with the text. We get into the text in here. Do you agree? Would you agree with that? I mean, I hope so. And we've got some men in here, and I see some pastors in here that have been pastors for many years. And, 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 if, and I'm telling you right now, if you see me getting light with the text or not paying attention to theological points and kind of liberalizing and shirking around, all of a sudden becoming a positive thought kind of church, then you come to me and you, 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 you confront me immediately. I give you the full authority to do that. Theology is important, but we're gonna, there are going to be people that are part of the body of Christ that we don't quite get. So in Mark chapter 9, it's an interesting story here. Look what happens. John, one of the disciples, said to him, he says, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he, he wasn't following with us. He wasn't part of the church at the red door. But Jesus said, don't hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. Now that's pretty broad. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Now in some ways, if this wasn't balanced, you'd say, well, that's just anybody who doesn't try to kill you. And then they're part of us. And it's the great universal church. And people get real freaked out about the universal church. And that's going to be the Antichrist and all this kind of thing. Let me just set you at ease. If people aren't fundamentally against you and they say they have a relationship with Jesus, why would you sit there and argue? Why would you hinder them if they're just not part of your ilk? Now, we'll have a culture here. We do. We've created a culture. Whether we know it or not, we already have a culture. And most of us, some of you, we do have some charismatics in here. 
we have some full gospel, full faith, full going to be healed, all kinds of all that. And some of, I even get these questions early on, as, as you should when you're founding a church. Are we going to be a full gospel church? On the other spectrum, we have others that are more high-collar Christianity, never been around something. I mean, even what we're doing now, the homily would have been over a long time ago. <laughs> this is radically different. So everybody's making some amends to their experience spiritually even to be here. Would you agree with that? I love that. I hope that always is the case. But I will tell you, we have a culture here. You can go. If you need more charismata to be displayed on a Sunday morning service, this might not be the perfect place to you. But guess what? We're still part of you, and you're part of us. We'll probably have an environment because we have a calling here to reach into a particular demographic. And so, but we embrace every charismatic that's okay to come and. Probably about the most we'll see is raising of hands, and that freaks people out. They've never seen anybody raise their hands. They think they're asking a question during worship, you know? <laughs> well, there's nobody even up there to answer the question. So, so, and, but that's different for you, and some of you have had a much more charismatic background, and you're used to the conversations that we're even having this morning about the presence of God. What are we going to be? Well, I'll tell you, I think there's a larger organism here. I, I've used this example before, and I'm going to use it again. Some of you heard me use this, but it came into my mind years ago, and I just haven't come up with a better analogy yet, so I'm going to use it again. If you're a sports fan and you want to go to a football game, you're going to go to a football game, and when I go, I want all the sights. Now, I'll be honest with you, and I'm not, I hope this doesn't sound pious or weird. I am not a big wealthy guy or anything like that, but the people I've known through golf and all, you know, many of you know my background is that usually when I go to a game, I've been invited to a game, and typically the people who invite me a game don't invite me to go sit in the end zone. They invite me to sit at the press box. So when I've been to NBA games, I've sat on the, right on the court. You know, that's pretty cool, or close to it. When I've been to football games, I've sat in the press box, or I've sat, you know, on the 50-yard line, sat in some nice places. I've never sat down there, if you're a Washington Redskins fan, with a grown men dressed up like pigs. I've never been with face painters. I've never sat next to a face painter in a game. <laughs> Guys that'll take their shirt off when it's 20 degrees outside if they're a Green Bay Packer fan and they got cheese on their head. <laughs> and they got things that spell out letters and they, they have big bellies, a lot of them, and all that kind of stuff. I've never sat in that section before. I'm, sa I'm sitting more in a section where people, you know, have this and they sit down and they score a touchdown and... And then they look for the servant to come and offer them something else, you know. I mean, the people waiting on them. But can I tell you, I'm not that comfortable in the end zone. But I'll tell you this. If I ever went to a game and there was no people with cheese on their head in the end zone, I said it wouldn't be the full experience for me. I want everybody in that stadium. I want, and I'm sorry, you say, well, I'm a charismatic. Is he telling me I'm an end zone sitter? No. I'm just saying that there are people that have more expression and they love and the presence of God. And then there are some of you that have been very staid in your religion, but you're just as worshipful. You love Jesus just as much as the person next to you, just maybe aren't as visible about it. But what we do is we tend to look at the charismatics and what we do is we say, see, those people are crazy. And then we go to the worst <laughs> common denominator where there's been abuses and there have been and people acting clownishly and fleshly in that movement, and we say, see, all of them are like that. 
And then the charismatics who maybe actually have some extraordinary things and see amazing healings and things like that and have seen extraordinary experience in the presence of God fall and amazing things, then they look back over at these people who are, are the press box people and they say they're the chosen frozen. <laughs> they don't move around. They, see, the God's not among them. They don't really love Jesus. And then we divide on that. Let me just tell you something. We'll have a particular culture here. It's probably not going to be end zone, and it's probably not going to be press box. It's probably going to be somewhere in between just, be, just by virtue of the worship that we have and the way we raise our hands and things like that and, and our absolute, absolute belief that we're going to see and already have healings. This, I, absolutely, I am not a secessionist. This church will never be a secessionist church that we don't believe that God will heal. We're going to see physical healings. Because that's part of the experience we can have with God. I think it's part of the, the breadcrumbs for the children. Now, I hope if you say, well, I've just, I don't know about that. You know, I think that all stopped with the disciples. I will admit, I don't see it happen just like it did during the time of the disciples. But I'm not willing to stop now and go, it never can happen because I don't see it happen like them. And it might even be my predisposition to not believe in the impossible not to be a childlike faith, not to have a childlike faith that I've already closed myself off from even the possibility of that happening. And I don't want this church to ever be closed off to any kind of God interaction, God experience in the presence of God. I don't want us ever to be closed off, ever, because we're all going to need it. Would you agree with that? So where are we in the spectrum? Well, we're a little reserved on the whole spectrum, but... We absolutely want the absolute presence of God to manifest in this place. And we're going to talk about that in very significant ways in the future as well. So there's a deep principle here. Look, we have to be willing, if we were going to be a humble servant, to recognize it's not all about Church at the Red Door. It's not about all about my role that I play in Church at the Red Door or your role that you play in Church at the Red Door. It is not about all just the Coachella Valley Church. It's about the, the, the universal church that loves Jesus, believes in his death, burial, and resurrection, is born again, and is living for the kingdom of heaven. And that's humility. It just is. So there has to be great humility. I know this isn't up for the guys, but I want you to go to James chapter 4 real quick, and let's look at this. Uh, I think it's important to be said in this context, um, James chapter 4, and we're going to get to some really fun stuff here in a second. It's all fun, isn't it? Isn't this great? I mean, how, can you have fun at church learning about God and going, wow, this is true. This is life transforming. Jesus was raised from the dead. This is not just dogma and dead religion. Heaven forbid. I hate that. I don't want that. I want a living God. I want to dance around, maybe not literally, obviously, not literally, I promise you. Literally, not literally, in my underwear that I want to experience God, period. So uh, James chapter 4, let's look at this real quick, starting just 8, 9, and 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Okay, is it just that simple? You want the presence of God? Draw near to him. And if that, if that necessitates you stepping away from some of your past experience, religiously speaking, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And I'm convinced that's also true even if you don't know God and don't yet know about him. If you will pursue him a little bit, he will manifest himself to you. There's not a person in here that doesn't walk with Jesus that has not had that happen. If you think that I just heard a few dogma, dogmatic principles years ago as the guy that I was in my 20s messed up, screwed up life, all that, and I just heard a few dogmatic principles, and that's kept me for 30 years in the faith, you're crazy. 
I've experienced God so many times in so many radical, wild, supernatural ways. Nobody could ever, ever talk me out of my faith because I've experienced God. If you think that I just, well, he just, he doesn't want to go to hell, and so he's going to hold to these weird little dogmas that he holds on to. If I, I experience God all the time, and it breaks my heart when people sit there and argue about it. I said, it's like me sitting there eating a piece of cake, and I've got a good friend over here, and I'm eating this cake, and this is the most incredible cake I've ever eaten in my life, and I'm eating it, and I'm eating it, and he goes, no, it's not. It's not a good piece of cake. And I said, well, have you tried this cake? No, but I'm just telling you, based on what I see and that icing content and the texture and everything, I'm just telling you, it's good, and I just keep eating it and eating it, and he's over there, and he says, that's not good cake. I'm just telling you, have you taken a bite of it? And that's exactly what the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Is that good? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Just come on. Recognize that you're all fallen. There's not holier people here. I mean, God's in us, many of, many of us. But it's not holier-than-thou people. It's people that have been saved by grace through faith, and then God is living in us, and we become more righteous through the process. It's all his power. Be miserable, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. And then at the proper time, and I'm putting this together with also with Peter, but at the proper time, he will exalt you. In other words, he'll bring you. But there always starts, as we've seen, you want to be great? It starts with humility. You want to be great? Be a servant of all. You want to, get, you want to start seeing the unseen? You want to start experiencing the supernatural? Humble yourselves. Don't just look for another conference. Don't look for the, you know, the latest uh, TV guy that's going to pour, pour his abundant blessings on you because you, you know, whatever, and all the skepticism that goes with that. I hate all that sensationalism anyway. I really do. Uh, some of it's authentic, I'm sure, and some of it's clearly not. I'm not looking for that. I'm just saying this is the path to the supernatural realm, humility. And that's what Jesus taught. Don't be, don't be skewed in that. If you send $49 in the next 49 minutes, you know, you're going to get a blessing from God. That's not how God operates. God reveals himself to childlike humility. So you say, well, I'm not really experiencing God or I'm dry in my... And just go back to the beginning and say, okay, God, I, I'm just, I want to be a child again. I want to just take you at your word. I want to read something in my Bible and then just act on it even when it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And guess what? You will see the Ark of the Covenant figuratively move right into your city. And you better dance like the Dickens. Get your underwear out and dance. <laughs> so let's ask the question, what is CRD called to be? Well, we... we we're an on-ramp for people in this valley. If you, we, we, are both, we try to be both. We, we want to be an environment where if you don't know Jesus at all and you think this is all silly and that God doesn't exist and all that, look, we want this to be a safe place where you can come and feel loved and ask hard questions and get involved in a group and get involved in, in connecting with people and be able to sit down and ask some questions. We want to, but we also want to, but we also don't want to just be a church that's always so seeker sensitive that when people come that we don't get deep into the word. And you may not be used to this Bible stuff and you come in, you may not understand a lot of it on a particular day, but if you'll keep coming, you'll get something and you'll probably, God will give you something even when you're in your infancy even on a day like today. So just keep coming. 
we have to recognize our demographic and our calling. We've been called into a very unique demographic here in the Palm Springs area. We are not Atlanta. We are not just a normal community church. As you can see, even here this morning, we were two services packed out just a few, a month ago. And now, you know, we've got less folks here, which we love. Most people are on live stream now that are going to watch this week. So it's weird. It's a transient kind of thing. People are here and not, and they kind of come and part of it. It's just different, and that's okay. That's who we've been called to be. We're going to relish that opportunity. What an opportunity. We have to call people to a supernatural life. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, The kingdom of God doesn't exist in words only, but in power. Let me say that again. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. If we don't see any power, if we're not seeing transformed lives and all kinds of things happen in this church, then it's just words. Yada, yada, yada. It's the Charlie Brown Christmas. <laughs> Nothing's happening. We have to see the manifest presence of God in people's lives. We've got to, people say, I was a drug addict, and now I have no passion for drugs anymore. I was, I, yeah, and I know we got a lot of our rescue. You know, it's, you know one of the things i got to be honest with you, our Coachella Valley Rescue, I love all of you. And you're, by the way, you're not always going to be a Coachella Valley Rescue Mission person. This is a short season in your life, I'm convinced. Are you hearing me? You're just going to be a normal part of this body or whatever body or whatever body God calls you to, you're not going to be a CVRM person forever. This is a short season that you've been able to get on top of this, but I love it because look, they're all on the front row. <laughs> couple not, but a lot of you on the front row, and they take notes, and you know what they are? They're showing childlike humility. Is that beautiful? Yes. It's only the sinners that sit in the very back. I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. Don't raise your hand. Got to stay close to those exits. <laughs> getting a little hot in here. In fact, it is getting a little hot in here. I'm going to take this off, throw that over there. So, uh, no, it's good. But that's what we're going to be. We've got to see God's power. So, uh, we don't have, we're going to run out of time here. I don't know if we're going to be able to finish this, but let me just tell you this. Something profoundly impacted me this week, as I'm sure it did you. Anthony Bourdain. Kate Spade. Don't know a lot about Kate Spade, but my girls knew a lot about Kate Spade. Kate Spade handbags. I mean, she was uh, kind of an icon, fashion icon of sorts. Been around for a long time. Tied a scarf around her neck and hung herself on a doorknob in a hotel room. Just a few days later, Anthony Bourdain, the great guy that travels the world and you know, just seems to, boy, this is life. I said, anybody's experiencing life. He travels, he eats the best cuisine, he's famous, he's got a lot of money, he's got everything going for him. Everything's going for Anthony Bourdain except for one thing. He hated his life and he took it. Why? How can Robin Williams, one of the funniest guys, I'd, I'd love to spend an hour with Robin Williams, just the, just the energy alone would get you moving and grooving and and hey, Robin, it takes his own life. What's this epidemic of suicide? I'm, I'm just telling you, and I, hate, I don't want this to sound, I have great appreciation for, uh, you know, medical treatment and all these things. Trust me, I do. But there's something deeper here. We can't just write, out, write off a 30% increase in the suicide rate to, in the United States to disease. And you know what? It is disease. It's dis 
ease. That's where we get, etymologically, that's where we get our word disease. I'm not at ease. I'm at dis-ease. I'm not, something's wrong here. And we write it off to just some chemical reaction. You know, it's, well, it's depression. A lot of people, I understand, but let me say, at the, at the very core of depression, typically is hope. And that's where we get Christ, who is our hope. You know, I look back, I said, what if, who were who the people potentially that were in Kate Spade's life that were called to speak into Kate Spade? Maybe they did. Maybe she had the gospel presented to her in a clear and articulate way and an opportunity to embrace Jesus, but maybe she just rejected. I don't know. We'll never know. Maybe one day we will with Jesus. But all I, I can tell you is that this, this gets me up in the morning because there will be people right here in this Coachella Valley that before the week's end, they'll take their own life. It's because of a lack of hope. But it's more than just hope. It has to be the manifest presence of a living God. God willing somehow, some way, through the power of the Holy Spirit and a yielded, servant-oriented, childlike, loving community, they can at least have a fighting chance to hear that God loves them. They don't need to hear they're going to hell and all this punishment. What does the Bible say? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We can tell people, I don't care where they are or what they're experiencing or what their background is, we can look them right in the eye and say, God loves you with the full authority of Scripture. He's right there for you. All you got to do is embrace Him. So are we going to do that? Are we going to be that kind of community? Are we going to be a childlike community? Well, I'm going to talk to you next week more about the impossible. I want to talk to you next week about what I would call power secrets. This is not Oprah's secret. No, this is power secrets. Well, they're not really secret, but in some ways they are, they are visible to everybody. But what is it that gives us, I, I think that's the question we're going to try to answer next week, what is it about the presence of God that leads to, what, what do we do functionally? Let me, let, let me restate this. What do we do practically? that can lead to a deeper sense of the very presence of God in our life. If you're hanging on by a thread, you need the presence of God. You don't need another Bible study. Well, sometimes you may be ignorant of something, and it may break something open. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm all about the Word. Receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your soul. But sometimes you just need God to intervene. You need to sense and know that He's there. You need to see the supernatural, too. We need it. I'm telling you, I don't want to live in a world that doesn't have just cool things happening all the time. You would not believe what happened last week. Let's hear it. We're going to show you that. We're getting close. In fact, our dear friend down here, Robert, is, is going to be the, he is the first guy that has done. If you read some of our original founding of this church a year and a half ago, we wrote that we were going to be an MTT church. We're going to do music in the beginning, which is worship. Then we're going to do teaching, and then we're going to do a testimony. Our goal will be to do a testimony up here where we can get in the studio. And I want everybody, everybody. I, nobody said, well, I don't have an interesting story. You don't know what might come out of this, and it might impact somebody. Get in the studio, spend half an hour, tell your story, and then edit it. We'll edit it down to about three minutes, and it'll be your story. <laughs> no, it'll be cool. It'll be cool. We'll edit it down, get the good stuff. And, and I'm, I don't know when we're going to do it. I don't know if we'll be able to do it next week or the week, week after. But Robert is going to be up there. And I'm telling you right now, this brother has a story. And it is a good story. And it is a story that's getting better and better and better. 
And I, when I see you, brother, I see 20 years. What's it going to look like? Huh? Two years, you're a whole different guy. Is that not true? I mean, when you first came in here, you were a loving guy, but you're a different guy in two years. Two years? What's it going to look like in five years? That's power. That's supernatural. That's God's intervention. So do we want the presence of God? Yes, we do. Why the story of David in the ark? Dancing in the underwear. Some people hating it and think it is terrible. For this purpose, we don't have the ark. We don't need the ark of the covenant anymore. We have the real thing. We have the manifestation of the ark of the covenant. We have Aaron's rod budded. That's Jesus resurrected. We have the law. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the law. And we have the manna that they collected. That was all in the ark, and that was Jesus. I am the manna. We don't need an Ark of the Covenant. We don't need another Indiana Jones. I don't care if they ever find the Ark of the Covenant. It means really nothing to me. It would be a point of interest. I would read the article. What I want is what the Ark always pointed to, which was Jesus. And we will manifest the very presence of Jesus. We will. So I'm going to do something. Can we get this mic? Do we have a mic over here, guys? Can we get that live up? All right. I know he wasn't preparing to do this, but... We're going to do it anyway, because we're all family. Uh, Robert, would you come up and close us in prayer? Since you're going to be our first testimony, brother, you've got to get used to praying up in front of people. <laughs> Just close us in prayer. Just whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for my church family, Lord. I thank you for Pastor Jeff Crawford, Lord. I thank you for Church at the Red Door. Lord, I pray that you just give us safe travels back home, Lord, and let us have a good day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, now you've done it, brother. Now you've done it.